Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Welcome. So hi, everybody. Uh, We are going to go back into Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 65, 17 is where we left off. Uh, so we'll we'll dig into that. And last time I also went really long, so I'm going to try not to do that again today. Um, I want to cut it a little bit shorter so we can have a little bit of discussion as we go through this. So Isaiah 65:17. I want to share one thing with, with you um, before we get into Isaiah 65:17. Uh, there's been a lot of things on my mind as he's been. Uh, taking me through uh, some items within my heart, within my soul and spirit. And one thing that he said to me that I want to share is, said, Todd, when you are impatient, it's because you fully don't believe that all things work to good for those that love me. And according to my purposes. Because if you actually believe that in full, you would never lack patience. Because it's my purposes. Uh, Okay. So that whole thing about Dan talking about pillars on Sunday nights and the tests and the patience tests. Um, I, I, I think that God is producing a lot of patience in me. He must, because I keep going through not the same test. It's multiple tests over and over. It's a new test and it's this test. And this. So that, that really hit me hard. So I wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, Isaiah, uh, 65, 17, this section from 17, we talked a little bit about 17 to the end of the chapter is what we'll cover today. It is setting up the whole millennial kingdom. This is like the, the building of everything that the, the revelation of Zion is about. And it's Zion being birthed into the earth and then existing in the millennial kingdom. So something that I want you guys to keep in mind, because this, this will help as a frame of reference as we're getting into this. Uh, the, there's been various temples throughout history. <clears throat> You've heard me say this before. But first, first temple on earth is the Garden of Eden. And number one, it means the beginning. So the very beginning, it was the way it was set up. The Garden of Eden was the first temple. Second temple into the earth was the, the tabernacle uh, of congregation, or it really was just a tent. It was a tent. And it, that's the second one. And sometimes that, that meaning of, of two is really, we think about marriage. There's two people. Well, during that time, that's God marrying his people. Number three, the third temple on the earth was Solomon's temple. So it hard-coded. He built it into Jerusalem. Fourth temple was the rebuilt temple. So Solomon's temple gets wiped out by Nebuchadnezzar. All the the elements, all the components get taken out, taken away. Um, And then there's a rebuilding phase, but it really got rebuilt eventually. So that's the fourth temple. The fifth temple, of course, is us. The, the living temple, the temple of grace. The sixth temple will be the one that the Antichrist stands and says that he is God. 
The seventh temple, there is going to be a temple, but it's going to be very different than what we think. That's the millennial king, uh, during the millennial reign. And seven represents divine completeness. So it is the, the Sabbath of the earth. It is our Sabbath. It is the Sabbath of the heavens and the earth. It is the Sabbath of Zion being made manifest onto the earth. And then, of course, the eighth is the new heavens and the earth. And eight being new. Just like the eighth day of the week would be the first day of the next week. And the reason that I wanted to share that with you is because we are talking about the seventh time period or the seventh temple period, which is the divine completeness. We're not talking about the eighth. There's a reference to the eighth, meaning the new heavens and the earth, but that's not what we're talking about. And in the seventh, earth and the heavens are going to be different, but not new. They will be different but not new. And that's why I wanted to distinguish that a little bit. So Isaiah 65, 17. We mentioned this a little bit last time. We're going to look at it a little bit differently today. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So I, this is part of the reason that I went through these, these eight sessions, section, uh, uh, different phases of the temple, eight being the new. So Isaiah saying, the Lord saying, new heavens and earth, I'm going to do this. And then he backs up and explains what happens before. So this is not an explanation for the rest of the chapter of the new heavens and the earth. He's just making this statement, for behold, I'm going to create, I create new heavens and earth. Verse 18, but, like a transition, but you be glad and rejoice forevermore in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. So there's a transition there. And it's real important to understand that new heavens and the earth is the eighth. And we talked a little bit last time that in the book of Revelation, it's, it walks us through. There's, the, there's, there's Satan getting thrown uh, and locked up. There is a millennial reign for a thousand years. Satan is loosed for a period of time. He's then thrown into the lake of fire with the false prophet. Then there is a white throne judgment. Then there is a new heavens and earth. So clearly the new heavens and the earth is the eighth. Eighth millennial. Eighth day. So that's not what we're talking about in the rest of Isaiah 65. We're talking about the seventh. And sometimes it looks a little different because the seventh is so much different than what we're experiencing now it's going to seem new, but it's not new. Okay, makes sense? Just like we will have different bodies, we will go from mortal to immortality, and our bodies will be changed. Likewise, 
the heavens and the earth will be changed, but not new. With us being the new wine, we need a new wine skin, immortal bodies. With us being the new wine, we need in our place where we dwell and under our dominion, we need a new wine skin, also the earth. So the earth is going to go through a transformation. Very interesting. I just saw, I usually record this on the phone because the phone is typically better than the computer. And for the first time, the phone went out. I don't think the phone is real excited about the earth and the heavens changing into the new wineskin for us. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so I switched over to the computer. We'll keep going. We're just getting started. This sounds like a good topic. <clears throat> All right. So the heavens and the earth. So that sets this up. So I want to spend a little bit more time in the engagement with the heavens and the earth and what this means. Because righteousness, redemption, salvation is not only for us, but all creation. He didn't just die for us, although we are the apple of his eye. He also died for the redemption of the earth. This is why the earth and all of creation groan waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is why there was a crown of thorns on his head. Because going back to the curse from the garden, it was that the earth would produce thorns and thistles. So it's a reversal of the curse into the earth as well. Likewise, Abraham, when he had his vision, and God showed him his descendants. He showed him his descendants in the heavens as stars, spirit. And then he also showed him his descendants in the earth as sand. So it ties both our spirits and our bodies. And it ties both the heavens and the earth. Selah. All of this is connected. So let's go through some verses uh, uh, about the heavens and the earth. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Don't just think, ah, it's the heavens, it's the earth. Let's focus on us. That's part of it, but there's so much more. So the heavens and the earth. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And I'm going to Put in the chat, because I have been suggested to do this, so I'm going to try to be better at this, some verses to go into the chat to review. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is Yahuwah's, your Elohim. The earth also with all that therein. So you have the heaven and the heaven of heavens, which is interesting. That gets, that gets distinguished. So there's levels of heavens, of course, that we know. But there's actually the heaven and the heaven of heavens. There's a high place in the heavens. And then, of course, the earth. All right. Interesting. Let's keep going. Genesis 14, 19. You'll see that in the chat. Next verse. 
and we're building a a foundation of the heavens and the earth. And I, there's lots of verses, of course, in scripture about the heavens and the earth. I just picked out some to try to tell this story. Genesis 14, 19. So you have Melchizedek that is blessing Abraham. And he said, he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the most high Elohim, possessor of heaven and earth. So we have two verses now that both show Yahuwah possesses the heaven, the heaven of heavens, and the earth. Even after the fall, still his, still belongs to him. Genesis 27, 28. So this is now Isaac blessing Jacob. So he's passing along the blessing from Melchizedek to Abram, Abram to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. 27, 28. Therefore, Elohim, give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. So you have the heavens and the earth that we've already identified that are belong to Yahuwah. Now to Jacob, and this is part of the covenants of promise, the seed from the heavens and the earth now go as part of the covenant. So as part of the covenant, the blessings from heavens and the blessings from the earth belong to Abraham and his seed. Now, Paul explains the seed, of course, in Galatians, that the seed is Messiah, and then we are grafted into the seed. So what's happening is the heavens and the earth belong to Yahuwah, and as part of the covenants of promise, the output, the blessings of the heavens and earth oh, belong to us. So the heavens and the earth are a big deal in his overall plan for us. And if everything in the earth and all of the inhabitants thereof were under our dominion, our stewardship given by the possessor of the earth, and then that falls into the curse because the curse of Adam and Eve, likewise, he is going to redeem everything under our stewardship. Because if we're going to go into the seventh, millennial, then everything has to be rearranged. It's not new. It's rearranged to be in the manner that it was originally designed to be. Everything working in harmony. Genesis 28, verse 12. <clears throat> Jacob's dream. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of Yahweh descending and ascending. So now we have a connection point. We have a connection between heaven and earth. So not only is Yahweh the possessor of heaven and earth, he's given dominion to mankind, 
all of mankind and its stewardship has gone under a curse, but he also wants to connect the two. So we get the blessings from heaven, the blessings from the earth, and they're connected. And we see that here in the latter. So we know that, but let's keep going. Leviticus 26. Twenty-six, verse nineteen. This is what has happened to us that has to be changed. Leviticus twenty-six, nineteen. And I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. That is not the way it is supposed to be. But in the fallen state of mankind. In the fallen state of creation, the heaven is blocked, the earth is blocked. This has to be undone. It has to be undone. Now, we know that we are in a fallen state because our bodies decay. Guess what? The earth is in decay. You go, you go and stand on the beach and you say, oh, this is beautiful. God's creation. I see the sunset. I see the, the ocean roar, the, uh, the, 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 smell, the smell of the water, the sound of the water. There's birds flying. They're chirping. And then you see, uh, depending on where you're at, maybe you see like a, a seal. And then an orca comes and eats it. <laughs> That's not the way it's supposed to be. Just because there is beauty doesn't mean it's the original intended beauty. It's still God's grace to give us beauty. Yes, Kayla, I agree. I still don't understand the purpose of mosquitoes as creation. There's other food that the birds can eat. It doesn't have to be mosquitoes that bite. It does not make sense to me. So creation is in a fallen state. That's kind of my point. So not only is creation in a fallen state, but there's blockage. There's blockage between the blessings of heaven coming to us and the blessings of the earth coming to us. And that's what Leviticus 26 says. Let's keep going. It's going to continue to get more and more interesting. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 36. Deuteronomy is Moses summarizing everything to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. So he's giving this big, long explanation. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 36. Out of heaven, Yahuwah made you, Israel, to hear his voice, that he might instruct you. And upon the earth, he showed you his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Now, what strikes me about this passage is both from heaven and from earth, we hear his voice. So if there is a disconnect and a blockage, the heavens like brass and the earth shut, that also means that there is more difficulty in hearing his voice. That is also important to understand as we're going to continue to go through the rest of Isaiah chapter 65. 
that's out of alignment because his voice is resonating in the heavens and in the earth and it's coming forth from that place as well. See, we're not only just supposed to hear his voice, his still small voice. We're supposed to hear his voice in the thunderings and lightnings. We are supposed to hear his voice in the blaze of a fire. We're supposed to hear his voice in the roar of the waves. Now, some of you might be hearing and operating that a little bit. We're actually supposed to operate in that a lot. A few studies ago, we talked about the channels of water, the channels of fire, the channels of wind, the channels of his voice. If all things are held together by his voice, then his voice is in all, including all of the heavens and all of the earth. So these are things to consider and start praying into. I want to hear your voice in the roar of the waves. I want to hear your voice in the rays of the sun. Because it's there. Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18, starting verse 18. Therefore shall you lay up these words, these my words, in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they might be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, and you shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and upon your gates, that your days might, may be multiplied in the days of your children and in the land which Yahweh swore unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. So the idea is that earth is supposed to be a living environment like it is the environment in the heavens. Moses was telling this to Israel way back then. As you live in the heavens, that's the way it's supposed to be on the earth. That will eventually happen in fullness. It happens now in fullness during the rest of the time of the millennial kingdom. So we need to pray this out. See, part of what God is doing in us in this generation is bringing these types of revelations so that we can partner with him to make this happen. We're not supposed to stand by and just watch and wait. Yes, we watch and yes, we wait. He's also given command commandments for us to do. So if we have the understanding that this is the way it's supposed to be, and we have the dominion of the earth and all the inhabitants thereof, we need to start calling this stuff forth. He is waiting, expecting his enemies to be made his footstool. By whom? By us. 
more on the heavens and the earth. Let me put in some more. Uh, I, I'll send this out in the notes. I'm looking at my notes like, wow, there's a lot, lot in the notes, but I think you guys are getting the point. Let me share some other components of the heavens and the earth. Now, speaking to, um, th this I think is, now gets us into the next transition and I'm going to grab these passages and put them in the chat. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse one. So we've established the connectivity with the heavens and the earth, just with a few verses and their interaction with us. Now, let's look at it a different way. Deuteronomy 32, verse one. Moses, finishing up his message to Israel, actually stops talking to Israel and starts talking to, give ear, O you heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. So Moses gives Israel instruction, and before he dies, he gives the heavens and the earth instruction. Do you guys give the heavens and the earth instruction? Do you ask them to listen to your voice? Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah is all over this, of course. There's uh, many passages, but I just picked out a couple in Isaiah. Just so you can kind of feel his language. Right out of the gate, Isaiah 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For Yahweh has spoken, and I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So the first thing in Isaiah's ministry, as he's writing down, and he has this vision, he requires the heaven and the earth to listen. Isaiah 44. Verse 23. Sing, O you heavens, for Yahweh has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree therein, for Yahuwah has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. So this one is interesting. So now we have the heavens and the earth responding. And why are they responding? Because of the redemption of us. Maybe this is part of what Paul was thinking when he said, all of creation groans. Because they want to sing and they want to shout for our redemption. That's how connected we are. Let's go. I'm going to describe some other things. And then I want to share with you a couple more verses to really cement this. So describing. Moses then also had the heavens and the earth as witnesses against Israel. So when he places in 
the, the covenant into the Ark of the Covenant, and he places the book of the law on the side. He says, heavens and earth now are a witness against you. It means heaven and earth are going to witness this law. So if you are all by yourself in the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth are actually witnesses. They're always watching. So in the courts of heaven, you can bring in the heavens and the earth as witnesses. I do this all the time. Powerful witnesses. So the witnesses, when Yeshua died, what happened at the cross with the heavens and the earth? They were witnesses. In midday, the earth was dark. The earth, I mean, the heavens were dark. The earth opened up with a quake. They are witnesses. Mount Sinai, thunderings and lightnings, and an earthquake. They were witnesses to his presence in the encounter onto the earth. The heavens and the earth are witnesses all over scripture. Just a couple of examples all over the place. So they're witnesses. Think about interacting with them that way. Now here is where I think this kind of culminates in the power of the heavens and the inner and the earth interacting with us. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Verse 11. The heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, and the world and the fullness thereof, you have founded them. Good, we got that. Proverbs 3, verse 19. So in that passage that we just read in Psalm 89, talks about founding them or creating establishing them, uh, building them, uh, structuring them is really what that word means. So he structured them. Not only does he possess them, he structured them. But how did he structure them? How did he structure them? Proverbs 3, 19. Yahuwah by wisdom has founded the earth. By understanding, he has prepared or established the heavens. So we have this structure that he has created the heavens and the earth. And he's done it by the spirit of wisdom, the earth, the spirit of understanding the heavens. So two of the seven spirits were involved in the establishment of the foundations, the pillars of the heavens and the earth. Does anybody here interface, operate with the spirit of wisdom and understanding? 
Hmm. Isaiah 66. And we'll touch on this next study, but I want to show you how this kind of links now to Isaiah's whole thoughts. So he's building up the heavens and the earth. I'm going to create a new heavens and new earth. I've already created the existing heavens and the earth to interact with you, to bless you. The same spirit that is within you, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, wisdom created the foundations of the earth, understanding created the foundations of the heaven. For those of you that understand that you were there in the beginning, which me means if you were already operating in wisdom and understanding, you were also involved in the creation of the heavens and the earth. You guys catch that? You were involved in the heavens and the earth to bless yourselves through the power of God. We've already been interacting with God on this. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says Yahweh, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? Meaning, I already have this. Anything that is done in terms of a 3D, like creating an image of me that you're not supposed to do, is a lesser version of what's already been established and what you already have access to. I'm the one that is connected heaven to earth. You want to get heaven and earth aligned? Come in me. My throne is heaven. My footstool is earth. I'm already connected. It's there. I'm trying to get you to come along and partner with me to get into that place. Do you realize if you are seated with Christ, heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool? One of the biggest challenges in the body of Christ is vision and scope. God is as big as a six foot person. God's arm reaches as, as long as three feet. That's a lack of vision and scope. That is almost the basis for all of our problems is a lack of vision and scope of God. God doesn't love me. God isn't interacting. God is, doesn't care. God is, God is impatient. God is slow. God is too patient. God's plans aren't are aligned with me. <laughs> Everything is because our vision and scope is off. It's not happening when I want it to happen. Our vision and scope of God is off because we're putting timelines on things. Vision and scope. 
His throne is the heavens. The earth is his footstool. And if we are seated with him in heavenly places, our throne is in heaven. The earth is our footstool. By the spirit of wisdom, we helped create the earth. By the spirit of understanding, we helped create the heavens. If the heavens are brass and the earth is, is blocked, we need to speak to them and start to release it. Okay, so how come this doesn't release right today? If all things work to the good to those that love him and according to his purposes, it will happen. It is happening. Maybe there's a greater time frame because, oh, this, so this was, this was weighing me really heavy this morning. <clears throat> so this is how this is going to fit in. I was wondering how this was going to fit in. There is a lack of faithfulness in the body of Christ. When Yeshua said to his disciples, when I come back, will I find faith in the earth? I used to think that uh, uh, Elijah, Elijah just, Elijah, you didn't get it. You, you finally just gave up after this great day and you get chased into the cave by Jezebel and you think you're the only one. Well, imagine with Elijah, and of course, Yahweh said, oh, Elijah, I got 7,000 others that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But around Elijah, immediately around Elijah, there was nobody else. The others were somewhere else. He didn't know about them. He was the only one in his, his circle. Now, he didn't have the full scope and understanding of all this. But come on, really? 400 prophets of Baal are having a showdown and no one else showed up on Elijah's side? There's no faithfulness in the earth. John the Baptist is in the process of ushering in a whole new priesthood, ushering in the Son of God. Who else is coming alongside of him? There's watchers, yes. There's some friends, yes. There's some followers, yes. But what happens when he gets thrown in jail? They're in disarray. Yeshua himself, nobody was with him. John was kind of cowering with the women, trying to hide behind the women, but all the other disciples are running away. There's a lack of faithfulness in the earth. Eliani brought this up to me this morning. We just had across the United States and really actually many places in, in, in the world, we had our ability to worship together removed. And what did we do about it? Well, we didn't do anything about it because they bribed. We were already worshiping. We're hanging out on the internet. So it really didn't change. What's going on over there? Did any of them stand up? Maybe there was one or two people. It was like Elijah. Oh, God, I'm the only one left. There's no one else besides me. There is a lack of faithfulness in the earth. Let me give you another example. After the golden calf. Right at the time of the golden calf, Moses is interacting with God on Mount Sinai. Joshua is going halfway up the mountain. He's seen some of the glory. He's interacting with Moses. Caleb is in the camp. He hasn't gone off into the land to spy yet, but he is in the camp. Caleb is someone who's going to go after God. 
Joshua is someone who's going to go after God. I know there's other people that love Yahuwah even just after 50 days of being delivered. I know it. There's something there. They were, they were here, their cries were being heard while they were in bondage. But yet during the golden calf incident, after that, God said, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to restart with you and you alone. Joshua was, wasn't even counted as faithful at that time. Joshua would have been wiped out. Caleb would have been wiped out. And these are men of God. There's something inside of us in our human nature that lacks faithfulness. We have to foster that. And this goes to the core of our scope of God is too small. And if our scope of God is too small, our scope of who we are is too small. That's what I think he is rearranging here in the last days. So I feel the whole earth compressing all around me. But actually, if I were to sit in my cave, if I were to sit in my quiet place, I, I, I'm as happy as a lark. <laughs> Under the shadow. So we need to expand our thinking of how big under the shadow of his wings are and get more people to be faithful in that place. We need more faithful priests. We need more faithful priests. Okay. I don't know where that tangent came from. 65, back to 65, verse 18 and 19. I want to say some things on Israel. I mean, not Israel, Jerusalem. <laughs> 65, uh, Isaiah 65, 18 and 19. But be you glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I, I this, this Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. So this morning I was weeping and I was crying for the lack of faithfulness. And here, thank you, Holy Spirit. Rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy in two verses. So let's spend some time <clears throat> on Jerusalem and rejoicing. That will make me to cheer up a little bit. <laughs> Jerusalem is chosen by God, not because it's special, but because he chose it. That makes it special. We are special, not because we're special, but because God has chosen us to be special. <laughs> there's great humility in that, and there's great freedom in that. You don't have to be, do special to be spoken by oath as special. This is the whole thing with the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's by oath. It's what he declares you to be. So Jerusalem was declared to him, for him to have his name on it, his place, his habitation in it. It just is. We just have to accept it. That's the way it is. 
Jerusalem happens to be the place where Zion was to be birthed. And we talked a lot about this. Going back to Isaiah 61 and talking and 62, talking about the waste cities and the former desolations. These are cities that were created from the foundation of the earth to be daughters of Zion, to birth Zion after Jerusalem. Also, the former desolations are the places of spiritual high hills that were so unique that they were going to be places of encounter. And even though those got wiped out, they're still there. Do you realize that Jerusalem and the encounter that Abraham had with Isaac when he was going to offer him up on Mount Moriah, even though centuries and centuries and centuries have taken place since then, and the Romans have built upon Jerusalem, and the Muslims have built upon Jerusalem, it is still an ordained place of encounter. It's just a spiritual mess right now. But it's still ordained as the place of encounter for Abraham and Isaac and for us. This is also why the Catholic Church runs around and goes to builds these churches in different places because many of them are spiritual high places. They're former desolations. Um, Jerusalem is just one of those places. It is the main place because God said, I'm going to birth Zion on it. And if we go back to the beginning of Jerusalem, Salem, that first mention of Salem is where Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So Melchizedek was from Jerusalem. First mention of the entire word Jerusalem is in Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. And the, the, the Amorites are living there. The name of the king, the Amorite king in Joshua chapter 10, verse 1, is Adonai Zadik. <laughs> Adonai Zadik. He is the Adon, the master, the Lord of righteousness. He's an Amorite king. So amongst all the Amorites, because he lived in that high place, even though he's an Amorite, he's still considered righteous or just compared to all the other Amorites. It's just because that place. David flees Saul. He goes to the place of Namoth Rabbah, where Samuel and the prophets are, and where they built up the prophets' training ground. Saul sends men, they prophesy. Saul sends more men, they prophesy. Saul goes over there, he gets naked and prophesies. Because the space was ordained by God as the place of encounter. Jerusalem is one of those places. It's God's choice. God said this to Israel, I am doing this not because of you, but because it's me and the other group of people are unrighteous. Said this repeatedly. So likewise, Jerusalem is not selected because of its righteousness. It's because God said so. Even today, in all of the unrighteousness going on in Jerusalem, he still says it's his. We just have to accept that and and, and, and understand that. But there's more. So let's talk about this kind of more. Oh, by the way, for those of you that haven't um, been with us on this journey, Jerusalem is different than Zion. Zion 
was the fort that David took over. And I'm going to put this in the chat for those of you that knew, are new. So you have this verse. Zion was the fort that David took over. And the city of David is really Mount Zion. So Mount Zion became the city of David, not Jerusalem. Mount Zion, Fort Zion, city of David, was right next to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was supposed to receive the birthing of Fort Zion into it. It never did. So Zion and Jerusalem, two different things, even on the earth. Then we have Mount Zion in the heavens because it was supposed to be the launching pad on the earth of Mount Zion. Mount Zion was supposed to birth onto the earth in Jerusalem, and it never did. So there's a whole bunch of studies that we did talking about that, but I want to just kind of remind you guys of all that. This word rejoice is the Hebrew word Strong's 1523 pronounced gil. Rejoice. This is the real meaning of gil. When we think about rejoice, like, oh, yay. <laughs> this is the meaning. This is the real meaning. Spin around with violent emotion. Now, violent doesn't mean like hitting each other. Violent is aggressive. It's giving it everything you have. So rejoicing is spinning around with all of your strength, going through your emo emotion and joy. That's rejoice. So let's look at some of the ways this word, gil, is used in scripture. Zechariah chapter 9. I will put this in chat. Oh, so everybody, what do you think about uh, me putting these things in chat? Is this, is this helping at all? It might be helping slow me down too, which is good. Keep it up. Yes, thumbs up. Okay, good, 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 good. Then I'll keep doing it. Zechariah chapter nine. Verse 9, rejoice, so spin around violently with emotion, <laughs> rejoice greatly. So not only spin around violently with emotion, but do it in a great manner. O daughter of Zion, O shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So part of the expression of great rejoicing is the daughter of Zion, of which we are onto the earth, the daughter of Jerusalem, which is Jerusalem on the earth that hasn't birthed Zion yet. Both the heavens and the earth, because they're supposed to be connected, Zion and Jerusalem, but they're not at this time. Both rejoice because the Messiah is about to come. 
Song of Solomon. That's my SOS, Song of Solomon, 1-4. Draw me, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and spin around violently. <laughs> Kayla, you like that? <laughs> we will remember your love more than wine, the upright love you. So this is the beginning of the bride's journey. And she is rejoicing because of her justification before the bridegroom. Joel chapter two. I really like this one. Joel chapter two, verse 23. Again, this word rejoice. Be glad then, you children of Zion. He's speaking about Zion in the heavens that hasn't been birthed on the earth yet. Be glad. So all of those that are spiritual Israel, he's speaking of Zion. Rejoice. Spin around violently with emotion in Yahuwah your Elohim. For he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. So here we have great rejoicing with emotion because the former rain is coming, and now for us, the latter rain is coming. Back to faithfulness and big scope. I am locked in to the latter rain coming. So much so that all the dryness around me, all of the, the tension and the stress, I am almost not seeing unless I really reflect on it because my eyes are locked in in rejoicing fashion to the latter rain. I'm clinging to it. It's kind of like what Peter said, Master, where else are we going to go? You have the, you, you are the life. There's no one else beside you. We don't have a choice. We're children of Zion. We have to be locked into this and we have to rejoice in it. It's the only way we fight through. Fight through. He inhabits the praises of his people. So I am going to praise him and rejoice that the latter rain is coming. Next one. You can see this rejoicing really is tied to a lot of great stuff. Isaiah 66. Verse 10. Rejoice, you with Jerusalem, and be glad with her. All you that love her, rejoice for joy with her, all you that mourn for her. By faith, we need to be connected to Jerusalem. By faith. Do you realize that that is where the king will reside and birth Zion and this seventh temple that we will be a part of? So we have to get locked into that vision. We have to see beyond what is happening in the natural. We have to see beyond what has been happening over the last couple thousand years. We have to see beyond all this stuff. Isaiah 49. Verse 13. 
Sing, O you heavens, and be joyful, all you earth. O mountains, for Yahweh has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Sing, O you heavens, and be joyful, violently spinning and dancing and singing, you earth. Why? Because Zion is about to be birthed onto the earth. So now the earth, it is spinning. We hope it's not spinning violently when this happens. <laughs> but the earth is spinning and will be rejoicing because of Zion finally being birthed within it. So this term rejoicing is with it. One more. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly, here's that, greatly and rejoice. It's almost redundant. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Kind of one of those things. Really pay attention to this. This is extreme joy. Greatly rejoice in Yahuwah. My soul shall be joyful in my Elohim. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as the bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as the bride adorns herself with jewels. This great rejoicing is because you finally understand you are the bride. It is an identity issue. So there's great rejoicing. So about, if, if anything, then all the circumstances and the chaos around you, and we all have it, lock in and rejoice in the fact that you are his bride. If you are his bride, isn't he going to do the best for you? And I get it. Circumstances don't make sense. I get it. The earth doesn't make sense right now. We have to lock into these facts. Who are the faithful ones? We're not speaking to the called. Many are, many are called. I'm not even speaking to the chosen, the elect, his favorites. There are many that are justified in Christ. I'm speaking to the faithful ones. The faithful ones, you guys have to lock into these things to rejoice. There will be a reward at the end. This is what Isaiah is trying to get us to do, to lock into this place. So back to Isaiah 65, I want to share something else about Isaiah 65, 19, about this rejoicing in Jerusalem. Isaiah 35 is going to be my reference point to Isaiah 65, 19. Isaiah 35. We all have different calls. We all have different assignments. But we all can be considered faithful in our assignments and in our love for him. Just because we have different assignments doesn't mean you can't draw near and see him face to face and hear his voice. And this is this place, Isaiah 35. I'm going to read the whole thing because this is all what Isaiah 65 is getting to. It's this transition between the end of the sixth millennial to the beginning of the seventh millennial. It's the transition from the bride making herself ready to the bridegroom coming. 
to be with the bride. Uh, it's the transition of the earth groaning to the earth rejoicing and being becoming the new wineskin. Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. So the wilderness solid place now be happy for them. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. So the earth and these places that we consider bare will be joyful at this time. We listen to when the time is. The glory of Lebanon shall be given into it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. And they shall see the glory of Yahuwah and the excellency of our Elohim. Strengthen you the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. These are the people that are wobbling in faith. Strengthen. It could be us too. We need to be strengthened. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, not faithful, opposite of faithful. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your Elohim will come with vengeance. When is that time? That is his second return. Just like Isaiah 61, 2 said the acceptable year of Yahuwah and the day of his vengeance. Here's the day of vengeance. So this is approaching the day of the vengeance. Even Elohim will come with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Oh my, that means the heavens and the earth, we are going to be able to see and hear. And this whole veil, this frequency of fear that has been cast upon the entire earth that has caused people not to see and not to hear is going to be taken away. How awesome. Then the lame will leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. He's really talking about spiritual things. For in the wilderness shall the waters break out and streams in the desert. So when we, this is part of the vision and the cast, casting forth of really how big God is. We are thinking that those dry places in the earth and the dry places in humanity are done. But Isaiah is saying it's actually going to spring forth living water. That's why we have to be really careful on what we curse with our tongues. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, for it shall be for those, the wayfaring people, though Fools shall not err. Means they are sold out. People call them foolish, but they're just sold out for God. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of Yahuwah shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy. It'll never be taken away from me. We will never wane anymore with joy. 
upon their heads and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the pathway, the crossing of the seventh, I mean, sixth millennial to the seventh millennial. It's a birthing process. We're feeling the birth pains. We're feeling the beginning of the birth pains throughout this. So Isaiah is saying that. Back to Isaiah 65. And how do we want to close out? <clears throat> Spend a little bit more time. 6520. A little bit more time. So now this is the vision of not the new heavens and the earth, the millennial kingdom heavens and the earth. 6520, there shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner shall be a hundred years old and accursed. Meaning that there is not going to be people that will die prematurely. There is going to be a lengthening of days for both young and old, for both righteous and those that are not following God. There actually would be people not following God in those days. Amazingly, but it's still true. So we know that this is not the new heavens and the earth. This is within the millennial kingdom. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof uh, of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. I do want to make a comment about this. Um, it just, it just came, came to mind. Part of what happened when Israel went into the land of Canaan is they took over vineyards that they did not plant and lived in houses that they did not build. So how does that tie to this? That's because the Canaanites were unrighteous. So therefore, whatever they did in the earth could be taken from them. So if this is the case that we build and we will inhabit and we will plant and we will eat from there, Meaning we will be walking in holy righteousness. That's what is being implied here. Everything that we sow, we will reap perfectly. Going all the way back to the heavens and the earth explanation in the beginning, that we will receive the dew from heaven and the crops from the earth, it will be perfectly aligned. Can you imagine the law of reaping and sowing perfectly executed? See, it's more than just us doing. It's his righteousness doing it through us. So his righteousness is being sown. Therefore, we will reap sevenfold righteousness in return. Like everything we will do, we will be sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping. For those of you that understand compound interest, that's what kind of what comes to mind is there is this multiplication that just keeps growing and accelerating, growing, accelerating, growing, accelerating, because we will be moving in such righteousness. And the heavens and the earth are going to rejoice because they're going to respond in kind. Oh, wow. Todd is acting righteous again. In this moment of time, I have to pour out more blessings. I have to pour out more blessings again. I have to pour out more blessings again. That's what's going to be happening in the millennial kingdom. 
for those of us that are faithful. It's amazing. Amazing. That's how the earth and the heavens are supposed to be. So start calling that forth now. Calling that forth now. Foster faithfulness and righteousness in our hearts. That's why going back to a number of studies ago, there was kind of a key of how to birth Zion onto the earth because Isaiah talked about it. That is, righteousness comes down as dew from heaven. So there's this righteousness coming down from Zion. And then the earth is supposed to open up and receive the righteousness from heaven and birth forth salvation. That's the exchange. That's the trade value. So part of my language now since then has been earth bring forth righteousness and salvation so that it can be prepared to receive Zion. Likewise, for us, we are to do the same things. To prepare for this time. Fast forward to the parable of the servants and the talents. One was given one, one was given two, one was given five. I think part of the difference between the two and the five was their engagement with different levels and aspects of Zion and the scope of God. They're both faithful. They're both called faithful servants. There's actually differentiation even in the faithful ones. How big is your God? Let's jump ahead to 65 or 65:25 and finish there. I'm going to cut this so we can have some discussion. Isaiah 65 verse 25. The wolf and the lamb. Oh, we, we got to back up. And I, why did I skip over 24? That's an awesome verse. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. Us and him, him and us. And as we speak, he is speaking through us and he is responding to his own language through us. That's how intertwined and close we are supposed to be. It reminds me of the end of Song of Solomon when both the, the bride and the bridegroom are leaning upon one another and you can't tell them apart. And if you're leaning upon one another, if one does not walk in sync, then they both fall. I mean, really, that's what God wants to do with us. Why would God allow himself to fall in, this, in, in my kind of description here? Because he wants to train us up so that we are ox that are yoked to him. We are the bride yoked to him. When we speak, he speaks. When he speaks, we speak. Perfect synchronization. That comes through love. It comes through faithfulness. It comes from understanding how big he is and how understand how big you are. Beautiful. 
Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. And the lion shall eat straw like a bull, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says Yahuwah. So what's happening here is a description that the earth has become this new wineskin for us being the new wine. And the wolf and the lamb now are at peace. So there will be wolves, even the millennial kingdom, to be given a chance for their salvation. But we're not going to be afraid of them anymore. We're not going to have to watch over our shoulder everywhere. We're not going to have all this untrust, distrust, mistrust with people. People will be plain. The mind of Christ will be filled within us. We'll know exactly what's happening. The wolves will not be in sheep's clothing anymore. They'll be exposed and rendered toothless. So they'll be hanging out. The lion is going to eat straw like a bull. Now, what, what speaks to me about this is when I think of the lion, I think of the lion of Judah. And the lion of Judah rises up to protect and for justice. I had this revelation just yesterday about my ruler. Um, the ruler component in my spirit really doesn't come forth very often. And I've often asked it, okay, I want you to come forth. Nope, not now. Nope, 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 nope. When? Nope, 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 nope. And then every once in a while it comes forth and I finally figured it out yesterday. It's for protection of the sheep and for justice. I don't know about you guys. My ruler is really ornery. It is hard. It is ornery. I'm like, good grief. I understand why you can't be out all the time because it gets mad. It's almost like this righteous anger. When Yeshua overturned the money tables, it was a righteous anger. That was his ruler spirit coming forward. So we go into a protection mode like a mama bear. That's a ruler spirit. You see someone being taken advantage of and you stand up and, and intervene. That's a ruler spirit for justice. So when we're talking about the lion will eat straw like the bull, that means justice and protection. Justice has been established and protection is no longer needed. The lion can relax. This is not like the lion's negative and the bull is good. No, these are, these are both of us, kind of the four faces of the cherubim. It's all part of our component in our description, all part of the component in the descriptions of Yeshua. It's that the lion portion can be the lamb. Because justice has been established. The sheep don't need protection from the wolf anymore. 
The ox is the servant component. The ox, they can serve. The lion actually can serve. It doesn't have to roar up. And isn't that true? So much of the lions, lions sleep all day long until they have to go out and eat and fight. And then they sleep and sleep and sleep. Now you have the lion with all of its strength and its authority serving like the ox because justice has been established on the earth. And then of course we have the dust that the serpent eats, meaning that the enemy, whoever's left of the enemy, most of the enemy is all taken away and removed. Whatever's left, they're so low that they can't, they don't have any vision. They can't lift their heads to see our spirit, our soul, or even our bodies. They're even below our feet. So the, the authority and the placement of where they belong has almost taken place. It's to the place where they don't affect us. There's no effect on us. When I say almost taken place, they will be finally in their place in the lake of fire after this. But they have no effect on us anymore. This is the millennial kingdom. This is the millennial kingdom. They shall not destroy are hurt in my holy mountain because the holy mountain of Zion has been established into the earth. Um, let me finish with this, with 65. Psalm 134. Psalm 134 is the very last, what they call the song of degrees. And there's a lot of thought on what the, the song of degrees mean. There's 15 of them. And some people believe that they were the steps approaching the temple. Um, I think I've, uh, most historian scholars believe that the song of degrees were all part of the singing as Israel was coming in for the three feasts, the three feast times into Jerusalem. So they are approaching from the valleys and from the lowlands and approaching up into Jerusalem, into the Holy, Holy Mount. So there's an ascension taking place. So this is the very last one. And as you got closer through the Song of Degrees, as you got closer to the top, it was an expression that you were getting closer to the face of God, which was symbolic of the Ark of the Covenant. So that, that's all the mentality of the writing of this. Some people also believe that um, many of these psalms, um, and maybe all of them, were written uh, around the time when David was bringing the ark into Jerusalem for the first time. So he was bringing it in as an ascension into what he understood Jerusalem being the place of God's desire to birth Zion onto the earth. So anyway, this is the, the last or the highest level of the closeness to God in this song of degrees. So Psalm 134. Very short, but a great summary of where we just went through today. Behold, bless you, Yahuwah. So behold, have your eyes open. Don't do this in a closed manner. Big picture, big vision, big scope. Bless Yahuwah. 
all you servants of Yahweh, everybody, every assignment, every level of faithfulness, everybody, which by night stand in the house of Yahweh. That word stand means they are priests offering their sacrifices. And they're doing it in the night before the daybreak. Before the sun arises. Before this whole glory of the millennial kingdom comes. They're doing it in the the dark places that are hard. They're standing. That's what's happening here in verse 1. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary, in the temple, as priests, and bless Yahuwah. So even during the hard times in the night, before he comes, you are offering your sacrifice, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable unto Yahuwah. You are, conti- you are locked into what he is doing and what will do, that you are praising him and blessing him in the temple, in the high place as a priest. Verse 3, Yahuwah has made the heaven. This is the big summary. This is like if you got one, one verse to really meditate and chew on from today, this is the summary of the culmination of getting close and drawing near. Yahuwah made heaven and earth bless you out of Zion. Everything in the heaven is his. Everything in the earth is his. And he's going to bless you from that place, from Zion. So lock into it. Just like we're supposed to have dove's eyes on him, have dove's eyes on his plan, his essence, what he is doing in our lives. And that is to bless us from Zion and connect all of creation through us. That's the vision. That's the scope. And I love how the psalmist, uh, the, the psalmist says it really simply. There's very few words, and therefore it's really easy to pass over. But on our whole, our whole journey today, you can see actually the depth of the words and the scope and the largeness of, of all of this. So I'm not concerned about things around me. I'm just trying to pull people through. I'm not concerned about the attacks around me. I'm just trying to say, yeah, this must be part of your plan for me because I am locked. I am locked onto bringing Zion onto the earth. I am locked on birthing Zion onto the earth. I am locked in helping make the bride ready for the return of the bridegroom. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. Where else am I going to go? I have no other choice. But in all that, if I really understand it, there's this violent, spinning, rejoicing that stirs up in me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time of fellowship that we had today. We ask that you anoint it and bless it and move our hearts 
to be hearts longing after you. Just like David was called a man after your own heart. May we have your heart. We interface with your heart today. For the heart is the component of us where the spirit and the soul and the body all converge and interact. And Yeshua is the heart of the Father. We ask to be intertwined with you today. We thank you that you have established faith in us for you are the author and finisher of our faith. We want to be said and written in the scrolls, well done my good and faithful servant to each and every one of us. Father, I speak strength into our wobbly knees. I speak straightening into our backs. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would lift everyone's head up. Put your hand under their chin and lift up their head. That they would see your glory. That they would not look down at their circumstances and their position and hear what the enemy says of them. That they would be locked into your voice. And by spoken oath, they would hear the words, my beloved. Father, we thank you that you have made the heavens and the earth as co-laborers with us. So we call out to the heavens and the earth this day and ask for justice, that you would be witnesses on our behalf. Just like we know that the angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation, the heavens and the earth are your throne and footstool and our witnesses on our behalf. So we ask for the heavens and the earth to be witnesses into the earth of unrighteousness and wickedness. And that the enemy's resources and their reaping would be dried up now in Yeshua's name. That you would be brass to them that you would cause drought, that fire and hailstones would come down and cause them to stop injuring your people. And Father, in the midst of the earth and all the stress and the tension within the earth, we ask that the heavens and the earth would open up salvation and righteousness unto your people. your people are lost they're wandering they're confused they've been beaten they've been stolen they've been imprisoned we ask for heavens and earth to come and witness to that injustice and we ask for judgment righteous judgment to be executed Because we know that when we partner with the heavens and the earth and we come forth in who you've originally called us to be and it's made manifest that the heavens and the earth will shake off 
the old garments and put on new garments and they will rejoice. So we speak unto the heavens and to the earth and bless you and honor you. And we thank you for your faithfulness. May you be aligned with the will of the almighty Yahuwah Elohim, your creator. We thank you for bride and the fellowship and the opportunity that we have to come together on an internet uh, on, on this day to lift up your name. And above all things, we are humbled and privileged to be under the great high priest who experienced all manner of wickedness that should have been upon us. He experienced the wrath that we deserve. He experienced the the brutal hand of the enemy that we deserve. He experienced it all so that we could be washed clean from all unrighteousness by his blood. So we lift up the name Yeshua. For in him, by him, and for him are all things, including us. In his name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.